Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, this is primarily we're going to, where we're going to be. We're going to look at several other verses. Um, they'll, all those additional ones will be on the screen. If you want to do Bible drill and turn back and forth, you're more than welcome to. Um, or you can just camp out in Matthew 2, um, and, uh, and, uh, and the, like I said, the rest of them will be there on the screen. So today, the, the first Sunday of January, first Sunday of the new year, is the day of Epiphany, according to uh, the, the traditional church, traditional liturgical calendar. Now, as Protestants, um, we typically have not followed the liturgical calendar. Uh, but, but I thought it would be really interesting to... To, to do that today, and just to, to take a little bit of time and talk about Epiphany. Epiphany simply celebrates the arrival of the wise men uh, to see the, the child, Jesus. Uh, this is the day that the Christians have uh, celebrated the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That, that glorious truth that uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that he came as a man to live among men in order that he might redeem us. And we see this truth uh, proclaimed. We we looked at it, I believe, last week. We see it proclaimed in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This great truth that, that Jesus left his throne in heaven to come down and to live among us and to as the writer of Hebrews would say, to be tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin, to experience life the way we experience it. Now, maybe you didn't know this, but technically, the Christmas season did not end until last night. Uh, so the, and, and this is where we get uh, our 12 days of Christmas, from Christmas Day until Epiphany Eve, which is January 5th. So I say all that to say... You could still have your Christmas decorations up. Um, in fact, I, so, so again, growing up in like Southern Baptist culture, Epiphany wasn't something that was talked about a lot. And so I, I did some research and I went to that source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, and I learned that some popular Epiphany customs include Epiphany singing, not exactly sure what that is, chalking the door where, where you'd actually write um, the, the year that it is. Uh, so in this case, it would be 20. Um, 19 with, um, some, with MCB in between as a way of blessing. Now, the MCB would stand for the traditional names of the three wise men, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Again, this is not something that we as Protestants do, right? I'm just, so I'm, I'm not advocating that you like start chalking your door. I'm just, uh, to give us a little bit of background into Epiphany. Um, consuming something called Three Kings Cake. Now, I'm on board. Um, all right, a cake that's, that's garnished with, with jewels of fruits and nuts, uh, but this is where they lost me, but with a porcelain doll of the baby Jesus inside, and whoever finds the, the porcelain doll of the baby Jesus in their, in their slice of cake has to uh, host a party on Candlemas. What is Candlemas, you wonder? I'll get there. Winter swimming, I'm out. Nope as well as attending church services. So good job. You're, you're here. 
Uh, it's customary for, church, for Christians in many loca- locations to remove their Christmas decorations on Epiphany Eve or the 12th night. Although uh, those in other Christian countries historically remove them on Candlemas, which is the conclusion of Epiphany Tide, which happens on February 2nd. Right? So somebody just perked up and said, hey, I've got permission to leave Christmas decorations up until, Jan- until February 2nd. I have an argument for that in just a minute. Um, now, according to, to some traditions, those who fail to remove their Christmas decorations on Epiphany Eve have to leave them untouched until Candlemas. Darn. Um, which is the second opportunity to remove them, and failure to observe this custom is considered inauspicious. Uh, so a lot of churches that, that observe Epiphany and Candlemas will have an undecorating service on Epiphany Eve. Um, I said, although some keep them up until Candlemas, which is February 2nd, 40 days after Christmas. I mean, 40 sounds biblical, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a key number. I, I found all this fascinating, so I have a proposal. This is genius in my book, okay? That the next year, we begin the observation of Candlemas, and we just leave all the Christmas decorations up till February 2nd. Now, here's why that's important. Because February 2nd, um, just usually the Sunday after that is also a sacred day. We'll call it Football-mas, okay? It's the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. And then, then you're just a couple of weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting, which begins the season of Baseball-mas, which carries us to late October, and by then it's almost Christmas time again. It's a perfect calendar year. Sorry, that's, that's I, I found all this about, about Epiphany um, to, be, to be fascinating. To, to see the way that some other Christian traditions um, observe the, the, the Christian calendar a little bit differently than, than we do. Now, we, we would celebrate the season of Advent, right? We just did that, which begins the, the, the Christmas or the, uh, which begins the Christian calendar, begins the, the, the year. Advent simply means beginning. So on this day, as I said, which we've not normally observed as, as Protestants, but I thought it'd be interesting to look at what we can learn from the journey of the wise men. And so if you will, take your Bible, go to uh, Matthew chapter 2, and let's stand together as we read the story together, the, the arrival of the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the city in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we, for we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the child would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. 
Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the blessing it is to gather together, to open up your word, to hear you speak to us. And so this morning, I pray you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you would have to say to us through the story of the wise men. That through this simple story that we're familiar with, we might learn some principles that will carry us throughout this year. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, now really quickly, I, I always like to clear up a few misconceptions when it comes to the wise men. Um, <clears throat> as I said, we've, we've always kind of traditionally celebrated that there were three of them. Um, but, but if you notice, we're not really told that anywhere in, in the passage. We just, um, I think that, that came about because there were three gifts presented. And um, so that's, that's where we came up with this idea uh, Three, we're also not told, by the way, that they're kings. Did you, did you notice that? So we have this traditional Christmas carol, we three kings. I'm, I'm not advocating that we don't sing that. I'm just saying it's not as accurate as, as it perhaps could be. Um, and it's also likely that, that these men did not arrive at the manger. So that, they probably came uh, maybe even up to two years after Jesus was born. Now, I'm not advocating that you throw them out of your nativity set, okay? All I'm saying is maybe put them like in the next room or in the garage or, or ask your neighbor to put them across the street so that you can like see them through the window so they're on their way. They're just not there yet. They just haven't arrived when, when the baby was born. We're going to look at some principles that we've learned this morning. So this is not going to be like a typical three-point message, but it's also, I promise not to do um, what, what David Platt did this week at at a convention called the Cross Convention uh, for um, college students. He preached through the whole book of Revelation, and he had 50 points, 5-0. Okay? So I promise not to have that many, all right? Um, but we're going we're gonna to look at some lessons we can learn from the wise men and then some applications and actions we can take um, as we begin this, this year. One of the overarching things I want us to learn, though, this is not on your outline, this is free, um, much like we, we looked at last week with the shepherds. What we learn here in the story of the wise men is that God cares for all people. See, these men really could not have been more different from the shepherds. The, the shepherds were probably uneducated, probably not wealthy. It's more than likely that these wise men who came from the east were both of those things. They were probably wealthy and they were probably Educated, They were uh, most likely astronomers or astrologers, men who studied the stars looking for something about the meaning of life. And, and while we don't know exactly what it was they saw in the stars, they saw something that made them pack up all their stuff and set out on this long journey to follow this star. And again, we, we don't know where they came from. All we're told is that they came from the east. They came looking for something, or rather someone, because they understood something out of the ordinary was happening, and they wanted to observe it. God had revealed to them what he was doing, and they came to seek it out. 
Now the question comes up, well, how did they know what they were looking for? These more than likely pagan men, not followers of, of Almighty God, Yahweh, how did they know what they were looking for? Well, the prophet Isaiah, as we've said, who wrote about 700 years before Jesus was born, wrote about what was to come. This is what he said in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the people's. But the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes and look around. They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away, and your daughters on the hips of nannies. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will tremble and rejoice, because the riches of the sea will become yours, and the wealth of the nations will come to you. Caravans of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all of them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. So, so perhaps these men were familiar with this passage. Perhaps they were educated enough and they knew some of the Jewish uh, scriptures. Um, we, so we can see from this that they were maybe somewhat religious, probably not followers of Yahweh, but, but at least familiar with the Jewish scriptures and the promise of the Messiah. And we also see here that they were seekers. That they were willing to pack up and go. To, to go find out what this star meant. So they traveled to go find this baby. And from their story, we, we see uh, four lessons and then four applications. First lesson I want us to understand here um, is that worship is costly. W- worship is costly. As I mentioned a while ago, these these wise men traveled from a long distance to find this child. There was great cost involved. There was great time involved. There was great discomfort involved as they hop on their camels and set out across the desert to go find this child. And I, and I just think this is something that's, that we don't totally grasp today is the, the sacrifice, the cost that's associated with worship. See, I wonder if this doesn't come about because we live in an age of convenience. You know, if you think about this, it's so easy for us to worship. We have uh, easier access to the scripture than at any time, in, than man has had at any time in history. If you have a smartphone or, or a computer, you have constant, always on access to the Bible. And yet, ironically enough, we just might be the most biblically illiterate generation, certainly that our nation has seen. Because we're too busy. Busy. See, along with that convenience and and always having the the Bible in our pocket, always having that available to us, we have a whole host of other um, distractions as well, right? We have, we have more time-saving devices than ever, and we have less time than ever. Let, let that sink in for just a second. Right? Wasn't that the promise of technology? Wasn't that the promise of computers? Oh, it's going to save us so much time. Then what happened? Facebook. What do I do with all that time that I saved? Scroll, scrolling. I've seen this story 17 times. 
Look, Charlie bit my finger. Let's watch it for the 17th millionth time. Then we've got to watch it again. We also have easier access to worship services. Have you thought about this? Like, for, for one thing, just look at all the churches right here in Alamogordo. Now, I'm from West Texas, and I don't think I've ever seen a town with as many churches as Alamogordo has. There are options. Saturday night, Thursday night, Wednesday. I mean, you pick, pick your night. There's, there's probably a, so, a church somewhere that has a worship service. Not only that, we have nice vehicles. We have fancy vehicles to get here. When it's cold, you don't have to actually, like, go and, you know, saddle up your horse and set out in the cold to get to church. I don't even have to leave my house to start my car. It's awesome. And yet, among these conveniences, we have more and more things vying for our attention and our affections. And so are we willing to sacrifice so that we can worship God rightly? Are we willing to forego other things, maybe even good things, to make worshiping with God's people a priority? See, for the wise men, it was costly. And yes, they were probably wealthy men. They were probably able to afford setting out on a long journey, but that doesn't mean there wasn't sacrifice involved. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that, that worship was always costly. In, in the Old Testament, it literally required a sacrifice. And, and I, just, I wonder if we've, if we've lost that. And we, we've pushed it down on our list of priorities. We'll come back to that here in a few minutes. Here's another lesson I think we learned from their story. And that is that we can be familiar with Scripture and still miss Jesus. We can be familiar with Scripture and still miss Jesus. So here's the thing. When, uh, when the wise men arrive in Jerusalem, they, they go to, to King Herod. They go to Jerusalem and they start asking around about this king who, who's to be born. For we've seen his star and, and we've come to worship him. Now, now, when word gets back to King Herod that these men have heard about another king, um, it piques his interest, as you can imagine. So he calls together all the scribes and, and uh, all the scribes together and asks them, where is this king, this promised Messiah, to be born? And they knew exactly where he was to be born. In Bethlehem. It says that back in Micah 5.2. We, we know this. Micah 5.2. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So they knew where he was to be born. It just, it appears they didn't know that he'd already been born. They knew this one was coming, but, but they weren't looking out for him. See, these guys knew the scriptures. They've devoted their lives to studying what was the equivalent for them of what our Bibles are today? To studying the scriptures. And they missed the point. So let's learn from that example. Let us, let us be aware that Jesus is the glue that holds the Bible together. Um, as, as we read from the Jesus Storybook Bible, G Sally Lloyd-Jones in the introduction to that says, says that Jesus is like the missing piece of a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. If you've ever done a puzzle, you'll probably understand that. Where you're looking at it and you're like, okay, 
I have like this section that fits together. I have this section that fits together, but I can't figure out how it all fits together. I can't figure out the, the picture it's making. Then all of a sudden you find that piece. Oh. It's what Jesus is. He bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament and makes it all fit together and as one story about him. About what God is doing to rescue and redeem us. And so if you're reading the Bible this year, keep this in mind, especially like when you're trudging through Leviticus. When you're you're reading about all the sacrificial systems and it doesn't make any sense, let it sink in that Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice. So you and I don't have to worry about Oh, well, man, I had a, had a thought today that I, that I shouldn't have had. i got to go find two turtle doves to go, to go sacrifice. No, we don't have to do that because Jesus was that perfect sacrifice for us. Now, ironically, Jesus encountered this exact same problem uh, with the religious leaders in his own day. In, in John 5, he's, he's visiting with the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this, You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I think this can still be a danger for us, so um, we're, we're going to come back, and, and all these we're going to wrap up in our, in our application in just a second. Here's the third lesson we can learn from the, this story of the wise men. There will always be opposition to the gospel. Always. Enter King Herod. Now Herod tells the wise men he wants to know where the child is so that, they may, so that he can worship him as well. We're told that when Herod learned that there was another king, he was disturbed, and it says, in all Jerusalem with him. Now, you have to understand, Herod was this ruthless guy. In fact, he even, uh, history tells us he even killed one, maybe two of his own sons because he felt like they were a threat to his kingdom. So he had them put to death. So listen, when a, when a brutal dictator like that is disturbed, the whole country is disturbed. God reveals to the wise men in a dream that they should not return to Herod. Instead, they, they go back to their own country uh, a different route. And, and I just believe, I really do, I believe they went back not just a, a different route. I believe they went back different men. I, I believe, um, we're not told in the story, but, but I just, seeing the way this interaction happens, um, I believe they had encountered this Lord of all creation. And I believe they became followers of Yahweh through this experience, that, that they came to trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob. And when we, when we pick up, we see the rest of this story, beginning in verse 13. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt. I called my son. And then in, in verses 16 through 18, we have the story of the massacre of, of all the children, all, all the male children two years and, and under. 
Now, sometimes we, we look at our world today that's becoming increasingly hostile to the message of the gospel. And, and I think that too often we allow ourselves to be surprised by that. We, we see what we might consider the moral fabric of our society crumbling, and, and we're surprised by it. And I think the Bible would tell us, don't be surprised. In fact, as, as we dive back into Paul's letters to Timothy and to Titus this spring, we're going to see Paul's warnings to his readers in the first century, 2,000 years ago, that, that this would be a reality. And so understand that the ways of the world have always been opposed to the things of God. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that. In fact, if you go back and, and read um, passages like Romans 1, uh, every time I read that, I'm struck in, uh, by, by the fact that I think Paul could be writing that about 21st century United States of America as much as 1st century Rome. That this is a reality in the world in which we live, that the systems of the world are opposed to the things of God. Uh, finally, the, the last um, lesson I want us to learn is, is the meaning behind the gifts. The, the, these gifts carry meanings for us. They're not just um, fancy gifts that the wise men brought and laid at this baby Jesus' feet because they thought it'd be cute to see him, see like two-year-old Jesus playing with gold nuggets. But what we see is that, that each of these has, has a special meaning and teaches us something about who Jesus was. So, so the fact that they brought gold signifies Jesus' royalty. Gold um, was something that throughout Scripture we see in connection with kings and queens. Um, in 1 Kings 10, in the Old Testament, gold's mentioned at least 10 times when Solomon's wealth is described. In a couple other places as well. For example, uh, Psalm 45, 9. King's daughters are among your honored women. The queen adorned with gold from Ophir stands at your right hand. 2 Kings 5, 5. Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Here you have kings being described, and, and gold is, is uh, always associated with, with kings in the Old Testament. Then we have frankincense, and, and frankincense really signifies Jesus' deity. Uh, so, so frankincense was used throughout the Old Testament in worship to God. And in the book of Nehemiah, where, where he's describing the temple being or the, the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. He talks about a, a large room um, where frankincense was stored that was supposed to be used for worship. And it, it's usually in worship of Yahweh. So for instance, Exodus 30, 34, the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, uh, stacti, onica, and galbanum. I'm sure I did not pronounce those correctly. Uh, the spices and pure frankincense are to be in equal measures. And then Leviticus 2, 1, when, everyone when anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, it is to, to consist of fine flour. He is to pour olive oil on it and put frankincense on it. This was something that was used in worship. The temple would have smelled like frankincense from people offering um, sacrifices to God. And then finally, myrrh. What we see is that myrrh signifies Jesus' humanity. So, so myrrh was essentially a perfume, but, but it had a lot of different uses. 
Not only was, was Jesus brought myrrh as a baby or as a young child here, he was also presented with myrrh on the cross. Mark tells us that um, as Jesus is hanging on the, on the cross, they tried to get, the soldiers tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh. And when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body off the cross, John tells us that they used myrrh to prepare his body for burial. So there's, there's some foreshadowing that's happening here in Matthew 2. When Jesus has brought myrrh, it's telling us something about what's to come in his, in his life. It's telling us something about uh, giving us a clue about why he came. That was to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. All right, now really quickly, in light of these four lessons, four applications or four actions for, for us to take in, in 2019. Uh, first of all, make worship a priority this year. Make worship a priority See, I I still believe something special happens when we gather together as God's people. We have have a biblical command to worship with other believers. And so as we begin this new year together, let's make it a priority to gather together with God's people. Now, some some research um, in recent years has shown that, that folks that consider themselves regular Regular church attenders will typically be in worship about twice a month. Are you committed to your local church? Yes. How often are you there? I'm there a couple times a month. About half time. I'm committed to my local church. I'm I'm just crazy enough to think that God calls us to something better than that. God calls us to something higher than, than 50% when it comes to being involved in a local church. And we'll talk more about this throughout the, rest of the, throughout the rest of January as we look at, at our purposes of love, serve, and give. That's where we're going to be the next three Sundays. And we're going to look at the priority of, of being in worship and what happens when we gather together as God's people. But, but it's also true that we have a biblical command to continue gathering together. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Uh, it says, And let us watch out for one another at the end of 24. To provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're to be here to, to spur one another on to love and good works, to encourage one another in our relationship with Christ. That's, that's one of the primary reasons that we gather together. And then begin to, to think about how you can worship in every area of your life. Um, We'll talk about the, the giving aspect. And so I know a lot of guys will take this passage and, and they'll say, well, the, the wise men brought their gifts to Jesus, so we should come and bring our tithes and our offerings and our gifts to Jesus. I, I think that's a bit of twisting it a little bit. Um, but we'll talk about that giving aspect. There is a giving aspect to worship. Where we're reminded uh, that we give back to God out of the things that he owns, uh, out of the things that he's given to us. We'll talk about that at the end of the month. Secondly, we, we talked briefly about how we can read the Bible and, and still miss Jesus. But one of the ways that we come to see who Jesus is in and through Scripture is to be in the Bible. So, so let's, let's be people who are committed to making daily Bible reading a priority this year in 2019. 
And not just daily Bible reading, not just, not just printing off a sheet or, or setting up a reading plan on your phone and, and, and just going through to check off the, uh, the check boxes to make yourself feel good because, hey, I've read my Bible today. The, that's, that's not the point. The point is to grow in our relationship with Christ. The point is to read the Bible with an eye to see Jesus throughout the story of Scripture. To seek Christ, to grow in intimacy with him. A good study Bible can help you see the, uh, how the passage you're in points to Christ. And, and there are a myriad of reading plans out there. Um, I'm not going to tell you which one to pick. If you ask me, I have some suggestions. But if, if we want to be people who are growing in our relationship with Christ, that happens as we're in the word that he's given to us. I still like John Piper's quote. And I'll, you're going to hear this a lot because I think it's great. If you want to hear the word of God audibly, Read your Bible out loud. Love that. Love it. If you want want to hear the voice of God audibly, read your Bible out loud. That's that's him speaking to us. Here's the third thing. This one's not not quite as much fun. Um, That's simply to expect opposition. We we talked about how that's a reality in the world in which we live, and and the Bible promises us that that'll be a reality, and I think we're, we're heading to a place where opposition to the things of God is going to increase, not decrease. And so let's be people who expect it. We live and we work in a world that does not understand the things of God. And when you take following Jesus seriously, this will often put you at odds with the culture around us. Now, we have a couple options. We can sit back and we can complain about how much worse things were than they were 50 years ago. Or we can say, this is the reality in which we live. And I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. Now, it will lead to, probably at best, being a follower of Christ will lead to at least some strange looks every now and then. And at best, or at worst, maybe outright hostility. Now, keep in mind that, that when people are hostile to you because of the gospel, you are in good company. And in fact, this is what Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen: If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, Jesus said, this is going to be a reality. And understand that sometimes following Christ means that we'll, we get the same response that he got from people. And lastly, this, this year, as we look at 2019, remember Christ, our model. Hebrews 12 calls us to this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, maybe your Bible there says the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now remember that Christ is our king. Remember that he is God in the flesh. But also remember that he's our brother. One who experienced life and humanity just like we do. We have his example to follow. And so this morning as we close, I just want to know, have you trusted in Christ? Have you turned from sin and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you given your life completely to him? If not, there is no better way to begin this new year 
to, to begin this first full week of 2019 than by trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you're here and you've not yet done that, you've not yet trusted in, in Jesus as Lord and Savior, um, I'll be down front, Chuck will be down front. We would love to visit with you and pray with you and show you how you can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Second, as we begin this new year, maybe you simply need to renew your commitment to Christ. Now, now let me be clear, this isn't just new year, new you, mumbo jumbo, okay? This isn't just another New Year's resolution to put on your list, you know, next to lose 45 pounds by March or whatever, okay? It's not, not just something else, but it's, it's, a, it's a call to walk with Christ on a daily basis. Simple word that we would, we would normally use as discipleship. To follow Christ as a disciple. Maybe you just need to take some time and reevaluate your, your walk with Christ in light of a new year and a new beginning and ask him to, to, to grow your relationship with him this year. Maybe you're here and you, you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I've, I've come to know him as Lord and Savior, but, but you've never followed through with believer's baptism, this, this thing that Jesus called us to observe. And so if you haven't taken what we would say is the first step of obedience as a follower of Christ to be baptized, um, we'd love to visit with you and show you what that looks like and, um, and to be able to celebrate that, uh, that moment in your life as you proclaim to the rest of the world what Christ has already done in your heart. He's brought you from death to life. And then last, maybe you simply need to begin this new year by making FBC your church home officially through membership. Um, you can do that either through baptism, saying, yes, I am a believer, I want to be baptized. Um, you can do that by a statement of faith, saying, I've, I, I come as a follower of Christ, I've been baptized by, by immersion. Um, or by transferring a letter of membership from, a, from another Southern Baptist church. But to make this the place that you want to connect, make this officially the people you want to grow in Christ-likeness alongside. So excited to see what God does in and through us in the new year. Um, I've said this every year, and, and I, I firmly believe it's true. I think God is going to do a mighty work with us. But I'm just as excited, but regardless of what numbers look like in the sanctuary, regardless of what offering numbers look like, I, I'm most excited to see what God does in us. As we continue to surrender to him, as we continue to walk with him, as we allow him to shape and mold us into the image of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great opportunity that we have to gather and to worship. And I pray just as the, we have the, this example of the wise men that we would be people who seek you, who are, who are willing to sacrifice to worship. We'd be people who take your word seriously. Allow it to root sin out where it needs to be rooted out. They would grow us in our love and our knowledge of who you are. We'd be people who expect opposition, just, just as the wise men encountered with, with Herod, and uh, that we wouldn't be surprised, we wouldn't be discouraged by that, but we'd see it as an opportunity to have our faith refined through fire. And finally, that we'd be people who follow you just as Andrew and Peter and James and John left their nets 
left a life that was comfortable to follow after you, it would be people who are willing to do the same. And that through that, you would show us levels of grace, levels of mercy, levels of love for one another that we didn't even know were possible. Pray that those become realities here in our church this new year. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.